The Going Viral podcast from HealthEd shares the latest information on COVID-19 from authoritative voices and leading experts. You can find all episodes at healthed.com.au or if you're a registered health professional, you can listen on the HealthEd app as well as access many educational resources to support your professional development and practice. HealthEd's face-to-face seminars are starting up again in 2022. And we hope that you will be able to join us for a day of high quality learning with a lineup of great speakers and important topics in women's and children's health. I'll be chairing a number of these events and I look forward to seeing you there. Register at healthad.com.au. Hello and welcome to Health Ads Going Viral. I am Dr. David Lim. It is Thursday, the 18th of August. Professor Michael Toole will provide a COVID update on the latest developments with regard to your clinical practice. He will address issues such as, are we really past the peak? How the waves are merging and how reinfection patterns have changed. He will also discuss the Moderna jab for all children over six months of age and how monkeypox is not just an STI with it being out of control in the USA and the current insufficient availability of monkeypox vaccine in Australia. Hi, uh, my name is Mike Toole. Today I'm going to give uh, an update on both COVID-19 and monkeypox in Australia. Um, Here's an outline of the contents. So we'll look at trends in Australia. Um, There's been some publicity about rapid antigen tests, so we'll look at their accuracy, uh, look at Australia's ranking globally, um, and then try and unpack why Australia has experienced such high numbers of cases um, during 2022. Um, review the vaccination coverage in Australia, uh, look at COVID-19 reinfections, long COVID, the use of antivirals for treatment and uh, the so-called rebound infections. Then look at the Vaccines Plus strategy and finally an update on monkeypox. So the current situation in Australia is that the seven-day average of new daily cases has been progressively Um, decreasing uh, from a high of around 46,000 on the 22nd of July to around 24,000 today. Um, This most recent BA4, BA5 Omicron peak was much lower than the January or the BA1 peak, which reached around about 105,000 new cases a day. But reported cases are most likely to be underestimated, and that could be up to 100%. So, you know, some people think we should be doubling the official number of cases to get a true picture. Now, hospitalizations are also decreasing, but at a slower rate than cases, and from a peak that was much higher than in January, which was a bit of a surprise. Uh, Same in deaths, Um, the decreases lagged behind cases, again after a peak higher than in January and uh, as of today the seven-day average is currently around 77 deaths per day across the country. Now the numbers are staggering. There have been um, 
almost nine and a half million cases and ten and a half thousand deaths from COVID this year. Now, if you look back to 2020, uh, when there was a lot of fear around COVID, um, in the whole year, we only reported um, 28,405 cases and fewer than 1,000 deaths for the whole year in 2020. Um, some people are saying, well, COVID's not, is, is you know, milder than the flu. Well, that's very much not the case this year. So there have been 212,000 cases reported of influenza and 246 deaths. Um, and so, you know, this is not a good comparison with COVID. Um, are these rapid antigen tests reliable? Well, we've known for a long time that rapid antigen tests are less sensitive, that is, able to identify an infected person than PCR tests. Now, the Therapeutic Goods Administration only approves those tests with a clinical sensitivity of 80% for specimens collected within seven days of symptom onset and a clinical specificity, and that's the ability to exclude false positives, of at least 98%. Studies have generally shown that rapid antigen tests are as good at detecting Omicron as they were uh, for Delta. But rapid antigen tests are less sensitive during the early days of infection when people may have no symptoms. Now looking at the data in a preprint paper, a national US study found that among symptomatic people, two tests taken 48 hours apart detected 93% of infections. But the same pattern um, for asymptomatic people detected just 63%, which is well below the 80% that we're aiming for. Now, when people without symptoms took three tests, each two days apart, the tests caught 79%, so almost at that 80% um, uh, objective. Now, the US FDA now recommends that asymptomatic close contacts of known COVID cases should take at least three tests, each spaced 48 hours apart. For those who have symptoms, they should um, stick to two tests, 48 hours apart. Although our TGI has not yet recommended the strategy, I think it would be wise for, for you to follow the US FDA advice when counselling patients. Now, if we look at the trend since early 2020, COVID-19 in Australia is almost totally a phenomenon of 2022 this year. And you can see that clearly on the graph. Um, that very big spike was the Omicron um, spike in January. Ironically, that's when most politicians in Australia decided the epidemic was over. And clearly it's not. Now, if you look just at 2020 and 2021, you'll see there's a, a long gap between waves where daily cases got down to almost zero, if not zero. Now, that changed a bit in December 2021 when Omicron arrived and the daily uh, number of cases was actually 1,500. But look at 2022. Um, it's like there's really no trough or there's a, 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 just a bit of a trough in between each wave. And we have not reported any fewer than 18,000 cases a day at any time this year. So we can't be too complacent about the current situation. Hospitalizations, the peak 
in July was higher than that in January, and it is coming down. Um, daily um, new confirmed uh, COVID deaths also coming down, but actually a little bit of an upward spike in the last week. Now, most COVID deaths have been in people over 70, but if you look at this bar chart, there have been also many deaths in younger age groups, more than 1,000 in people in their 60s, and large numbers in people in their 50s and 40s, and even um, 15 deaths in children under nine. Now, excess mortality, the um, Australian Bureau of Statistics report in July looked at the first four months of the year, and they found that there had been a six, well, almost a 17% increase over the historical average, which is 2017 to 2019 and 2021. 2020 is not included in the baseline because there was a significant decrease in deaths. Deaths due to dementia were more than 20% higher than the baseline for the year to April, and deaths due to cancer were almost 6% higher. Deaths due to diabetes, almost 20% higher. Now, another ABS report found that of the 8,200 or so deaths reported with COVID-19 mentioned on the death certificate, the primary cause of death for 86% of these people was COVID-19. So we should not be overestimating or overemphasizing uh, that people are dying with pre-existing um, conditions. Now, the Actuaries Institute um, issued a separate report and found that COVID-19 was the third most common cause of death in Australia in the first six months of the year, after cardiovascular disease and dementia. Now, you can see there in the dark line is the um, number of deaths reported by um, doctors in Australia from COVID, and it's see it, it matches very closely the number of cases reported. This is a global picture, um, and you'll see to the right of the uh, screen, the trend globally has more or less mirrored uh, the trend in Australia. So it's coming down, um, but you'll see there have been peaks, uh, the biggest one, of course, in January. And in this colour-coded map, Australia is still considered one of the world's hotspots. And interestingly, uh, a number of other hotspots are also in the um, Indo-Pacific region, um, including South Korea, Japan and New Zealand. Now, if you look at the rankings, Australia's almost 10 million cumulative cases ranks number 14 in the world, so that's for the whole pandemic, well ahead of countries with a similar population like Taiwan and the Netherlands and much larger countries such as Canada, Mexico, Iran and Argentina. Now, just looking at the past seven days, when, I'll remind you, we're in a, a downward trajectory. Um, Australia ranked number four for cases per million, excluding very small island states after South Korea, Japan and Brunei. Uh, number three for deaths per million uh, after New Zealand and Croatia. And number two for hospitalisations after France. Um, that's hospitalisations per million uh, among the only 38 countries that report those data. Again, looking at the last seven days and looking at five countries, 
South Korea, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and um, as well, I've put in Germany uh, as a European example. And you'll see while the highest number of cases per capita have been in South Korea and Japan, Australia has um, the highest or second highest deaths per million. Um, and one of the factors um, causing that high death rate may be our relatively low third dose booster um, rate. And that's as a percentage of the total population. So why has Australia's pandemic been so severe this year? First of all, I think premature easing of mitigations, just as Omicron was taking off uh, before Christmas. And a political narrative that followed in January, February, that the pandemic is over. And that has led to public fatigue and complacency. Um, and a, a big reduction in the well-known mitigations to prevent infection. As I mentioned, we have a relatively low coverage by third and fourth vaccine booster doses and a very low coverage of two doses among children five to 11 years. An almost universal failure to invest in indoor ventilation, except in Victoria, in, in schools, and um, major stress on the healthcare system. Um, <clears throat> and also a relatively slow rollout of life-saving oral antiviral drugs. So I think a major milestone uh, came on the 15th of December 2021, just before the um, annual holidays for Christmas, New Year, school holidays. New South Wales dropped almost all restrictions, um, and that was despite a sharp rise in case numbers. Victoria followed soon after in February. Queensland, here where the premiers celebrated the removal of masks as being able to smile again. Um, and that state's chief health officer coming out and saying he wants to see a wall of immunity. And that was contrary to the then evidence that such a wall of immunity was not feasible. So looking at vaccination, the first graph shows coverage as a percent of the total population. This is how it's reported by um, some of the well-known databases. So you can see two um, doses relatively high, but then it goes down to around 54% for uh, third dose boosters, and it's still quite low uh, for fourth dose. Here's comparing um, different states and territories um, so adults that have received three doses, now this time it's eligible adults, it's not the whole population. You see the highest is West Australia at 83%, uh, followed um, closely by the ACT at 80%. The lowest is in Queensland, which is around 65%. Now if you look at adults by four, four doses, um, now this is over 30 years uh, of age, that's the way the Federal Health Department reports it. You see the highest is Tasmania, um, inching towards 50%, and the lowest, um, disturbingly, is in the Northern Territory. Now, if you look at children five to 15, again, this is the age group that the government reports on, so it includes those children five to 11. Um, the highest rate is in the ACT, close to 80%, and the lowest, again, is in Queensland where uh, much fewer than 50% of the 
of kids have been vaccinated um, twice. Another factor is that um, despite all the publicity in 2020 about high death rates in aged care homes, particularly in, in Victoria, um, the situation remains of concern. And you can see in that graph from three states the proportion of all deaths um, that occurred in um, aged care homes. Staff have also been hit hard. Um, active cases among aged care staff more than doubled um, in the week from, well, in the period from the 1st of July to the end of July. Now, fortunately, that's coming down again, um, but it's still 2,589 cases in the first week of August. As you saw from the previous graph um, of deaths, the cases were overwhelmingly concentrated in New South Wales and Queensland. Um, so um, you can see there the, the numbers. Um, and almost 4,500 were in those two states. Followed by Victoria, um, this is staff, and uh, South Australia and West Australia. You can see a very high number of deaths in recent weeks. Um, this is weekly deaths in um, aged care homes, reaching their, the highest peak was 165 uh, deaths. Reinfections. Um, and the most recent report by the UK Office for National Statistics says that around three quarters of reinfections during the Omicron, were, were during the Omicron period, but they followed first infections in Alpha and Delta dominant periods. Around one in six reinfections have occurred during the same variant dominant period. But the rate is much higher for Omicron, for almost 15%, than for Alpha, around 2%, and Delta, 1%. The largest study of reinfections remains the US Veterans Study, um, sample size of more than 6 million. I mentioned this at the last update. It's not yet been published in a peer-reviewed journal. But in fact, it, it, that study found that reinfections led to more severe illness, um, measured by a range of outcomes, hospitalisation, deaths, um, and severe illness. Now, the lead author recently clarified those findings. What he said is the study compared people as a group who had been infected at least twice with those who had been infected just once, rather than comparing first and second infections in the same individuals. Therefore, the study could not conclude that second and third infections were actually more severe than initial infections. But what the study does show clearly is that the cumulative health effects of reinfections are uh, worse than having a single infection. And as I said, they include hospitalizations and deaths. In addition, multiple infections lead to increased risks of heart disease, kidney, lung, pancreas, liver disease, and neurological disease. Now, the Australian TGA um, uh, have approved two oral antivirals, Paxlovid and Legevrio for people over the age of 70 and for others with at least two defined risk factors. Both should be started within five days of first feeling symptoms. 
Now, the so-called rebound infection received extensive um, media coverage when President Biden um, tested positive after having been negative for several days. And that was following a course of Paxlovid. Now, studies have found that viral levels research resurge in more than 10% of untreated people with COVID. Um, so these are not people on, on Paxlovid. But early data hint that the rebound is even more pronounced after antiviral treatment. Boston study analyzed data from hundreds of people who were randomized to receive a placebo um, in a large uh, scale trial of COVID antibody drugs. Now, more than a quarter of the participants who were infected with SARS reported a rebound in their symptoms, while one in eight saw a measurable return of the virus. Yet just one to 2% of people had both features, rebound in symptoms and a return uh, to high levels of the virus. The study suggests that the rebound rarely causes symptoms and that symptoms reappearance could stem instead from factors other than the virus, such as a lingering um, immune response. But the actual cause of Paxlovid rebound remains unclear. Researchers testing whether viral replication having been suppressed by Paxlovid can bounce back when the drug vanishes from the body, just more or less like HIV does, um, <clears throat> leading to high viral levels. A repeat course of Paxlovid is not currently recommended for a rebound. Now, long COVID or post-COVID syndrome is a multi-system disease causing disability uh, due to long-term health effects um, with up to 200 symptoms having been reported. WHO defines long COVID as the persistence of symptoms more than three months after initial infection and lasting at least two months. Now, the range of estimates in different studies reflects the use of different definitions and also different sampling methods. Now, one of the best conducted studies was just published in The Lancet last week. It was a large um, case control study, so it, it compared uh, symptoms, um, defined symptoms for long COVID in those that had an infection, the cases, and uh, another group that had not been infected with COVID. And the total sample size was more than 76,000. And it showed that the difference um, in those that had been infected with those that had not accounted for one in eight adults reporting persistent symptoms three to five months after infection. Now, the largest Australian study found that 5% of people um, had symptoms after three months. Um, so less than the um, Dutch study. With almost 10 million COVID cases reported, this would translate to at least 500,000 Australians experiencing long COVID-19 and could be up to a million. Now, Griffith University researchers found uh, an overlap in the pathology between long COVID and myalgic encephalomyelitis, or chronic fatigue syndrome in the form of a reduced absorption of calcium into the cells. Children may not be spared. A recent CDC study in the US found a more than 200% increase in myocarditis and cardiomyopathy 
in children under 17, more common in males, up to at least a year after the infection. Now this was eight times the incidence that CDC has reported after COVID vaccination. Now an important study, again in the US, found that patient-reported outcomes, um, so patient-reported symptoms, predicted long COVID with close to 100% accuracy. The study found an increase in exhausted T cells, again, some similarities with HIV, uh, evidence of herpes virus reactivation, and a potential biological marker for the disease in that low cortisol levels were the strongest predictor of disease severity. Now that study ob obviously needs to be replicated be before we can um, conclude that this is a biological marker. Now the Royal College of um, GPs um, has developed treatment guidelines which can be found online. There are currently designated long COVID treatment clinics in New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia and the ACT, but they all have very long waiting lists. Um, for example, St Vincent's in Sydney has a five month uh, waiting list. Um, so clearly we need to expand those clinics um, given the current um, Medicare uh, uh, levels of reimbursement for um, long consultations, it's going to be very, un, um, very difficult for GPs to do the lengthy um, examination that is required. Now, given the suboptimal booster and child vaccination rates in Australia, it makes public health sense to take a multi-pronged approach to reducing community transmission. This is what we do in most um, outbreaks, for example, cholera. Um, we do not have a strategy that increases the number of people infected, quite the opposite, and we take a multi-pronged approach. So while continuing to actively promote boosters, but I should note that the current federal government funded advertising campaign has not had um, a measurable impact on booster rates. Uh, we need to strongly promote indoor mandate, indoor masks, invest in improved indoor ventilation, uh, continue to test and isolate, um, and make sure there's adequate access to PCR testing, given um, the caveats I outlined on the reliability of uh, rapid antigen tests. Improved access for those eligible to oral antivirals, the US allows pharmacists to test and then provide antivirals on the spot in the pharmacy, and that's something we should perhaps um, consider. Now, recent Burnout Institute modelling found that optimal mask compliance could reduce hospital admissions by up to about 20% and deaths by up to 14% between July and October. We've described before methods to reduce the concentration of the virus particles, indoor air, ventilation, filtration and disinfection. Victoria is the only state that has significantly invested in better ventilation in schools. So from this photo, we were doing better during the Spanish flu. Now, I'll finish off with monkeypox. There are currently 70 cases in Australia and they include almost a half in New South Wales, another 30 in Victoria 
and lower numbers in other states and territories. Globally, there's been an explosion of cases with more than 30,000 cases reported in more than 80 countries that have not historically reported monkeypox and a further almost 400 in seven endemic countries. There have been 12 deaths um, since mid-May and five of those were in non-endemic countries. The majority of cases have been men who have had sex with men through skin-to-skin -skin contact, but any skin contact with an infected person and or with their patient's towels and linen may cause infection, and several children in a number of countries have been infected. UK study also found that in a ward where monkeypox patients were being treated, there was extensive surface contamination um, by the virus, and also in air samples. So we need excellent PPE um, in those treatment facilities and also those healthcare workers should be vaccinated. That's a map of the world. You can see um, the very high number of countries that have reported monkeypox, the largest being the US. Prevention and control. Um, is basically good old um, epidemiology, surveillance, case finding, isolation, and contact tracing. Uh, we need sensitive behaviour change communication to reduce the number of sexual partners. That needs to be done through partner agencies that specialise in working with um, men who have sex with men. We must not repeat the mistake of the early days of HIV. We need to avoid stigma and discrimination based on a person's sexuality. Now, Australia's received just 9,000 doses of the Genius third generation smallpox vaccine, and will receive a further 22,000 in September. I think we've ordered in total 400,000. Vaccine requires two doses, 28 days apart. Um, and the vaccine is being administered in um, designated state and territory sexual health clinics. Uh, according to ATAGI, those are eligible uh, intimate partners and those who live with someone who's confirmed to have the virus or have had close physical contact and sexually active uh, men who have sex with men who are immunocompromised. Thank you. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.